an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. In this episode, it is my pleasure to be interviewing Meg. Meg lives in the New York City metropolitan area and has a professional background in elementary education. She grew up overweight and started focusing on her health at age 25. Unlike many others, she had never really tried to lose weight before that. She just remembers hearing and reading that lasting weight loss was impossible, that most people who are able to lose a significant amount of weight inevitably regain it back at some point, so she assumed that there would be no point. Fortunately, once Meg started, the changes were significant and quite addictive. She stuck to it and lost 192 pounds, which is a little under 90 kilos. Uh, She says it's difficult to fully express how much life has changed since then. Before she spent most days off work in bed, exhausted. Uh, She also says mentally the changes have been profound. She was previously a chronic procrastinator and has become generally ambitious and active. She says now she loves to exercise and move primarily because it feels so amazing not to be limited by her physical body anymore. In this episode, we talk about how she managed to lose the weight, some of the successes and failures along the way, and how voluntary hardship had pointed her in the right direction throughout her life. Meg is such a great person to interview, and she has some really handy book recommendations. And wait until the very end of the podcast, because she has some great advice for anyone out there who is looking to do the same thing that she did. So please welcome Meg. Meg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm 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 really fantastic. You know, um, it's it's in the morning here in Australia, and I think it's in the afternoon for you in the states. Um, I, I believe it's uh, around the fourth of July for you at the moment. For anyone who's listening to this podcast later on, dun dun dun. We just released the dates of when we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I I wanted to uh, start out the podcast because. Um, you know, I usually start all my podcasts out with like a little bit of a, a personal story, and uh, some people might consider it an icebreaker. But you know, I think I think we've talked enough off the podcast now to be best buddies. Uh, and so, you, you were telling me about how um, you previous, oh sorry, you live currently in the New York metropolitan area. But can you tell us about some of the places that you previously lived because they sound pretty interesting. Uh, sure. So I actually uh, grew up in upstate New York, um, in the, the snow belt of upstate New York, um, central New York to be specific. 
And, uh, you know, we're one of, we were one of those places that gets over a hundred inches of snow every, every winter. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, spent, um, my childhood up through high school in that area, um, moved to Albany, New York to go to college. I went to, uh, SUNY Albany. And, um, and then after that, uh, went to graduate school in Chicago, um, stayed there for about five years, uh, and then moved back halfway across the country. Um, I believe in 2012, um, to where I currently live. Um, it was one of those, you know, relationship related moves. So you have to do what you have to do. Um, but we're actually not planning on staying, you know, super long term. We actually have plans to move somewhere that's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit fast around here. Everybody drives fast, moves fast, is impatient, um, a little on the angry side. So we're hoping to head to somewhere that's a little bit more family oriented, a little more quiet. Um, so hopefully within the next couple of years, we'll be able to make that happen. Oh, that's nice. Um, I, I heard that you, you previously lived in in Albany and you went to SUNY. Now, I, I if I'm remembering this correctly, um, Ad Keto, who was on the second episode of the Fat Pointless Show, was also there at some point in his life. Have you have you guys spoken about this at all? Like that you came from the same place? Yeah, actually, uh, we still have some friends who live in that area. So I remember when he he mentioned the town that he lived in, and I was like, oh hey, I have. You know, I have friends here and here and here, and um, so that was one of the, I believe, one of the first ways that uh, we started talking. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. And um, and yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know uh, who AD Kido is, I'm sorry, it's Aaron. <laughs> we, we all sort of know each other by everyone's Instagram handle, and uh, and so and that's that's how I I got in contact with you as well, Meg. So it's you know, Instagram's a great place, especially to be able to just message someone and and actually get a reply from that person and not just some automated email sequence. So it's uh, it's really, really awesome. Great community. Um, and, yeah, I know what you mean by by I've never been to New York, but I watch a lot of um, Casey Neistat on YouTube, and he's, he's from New York, uh, and he says, you know, you can never be so alone in such a big city. Um, and is that, is that sort of how it feels and you're, and you're wanting to move out of, out of that area so you can have a little bit more community around where you live? I, I think that that's definitely a huge part of it. Um, a part of it is just, uh, I don't know if you um, uh, listen to The Strokes at all. Um, you know, the American band probably, uh, they were really popular in the early 2000s, I believe, but they have a song um, called Heart in a Cage, and they have a line in that song that says, um, I'm stuck in the city, but I belong in a field. And that's, uh, that's a line in, in a song that I really relate to. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're stuck in this, in this place that just feels very chaotic. And I'm just, you know, we're, we're both really kind of more on the introverted side and definitely are, are people that value um, having a few very, very close friends over having a lot of acquaintances so that that mm. human connection is is something that I and people find that here, you know, not not to to, you know, confuse anyone or mislead anyone. People absolutely do find little pockets of communities here. Um, 
you just have to find them. You have to really seek them out. Right, right. And, um, and so, you know, from, for uh, the people listening, uh, they're probably going, okay, all right, who's Meg? Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Can you tell us, you know, some of the things that people may not know about you and then, you know, uh, some of the things that you've been sharing on Instagram recently and, uh, you, you know, just a little bit more about you. Um, sure. So I am uh, 32. I'm currently living with my uh, significant other. And um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I went through a huge and crazy weight loss transformation. So that's probably what I'm most known for. But um, I'm just kind of, uh, I've only been in maintenance for a little over a year. So the whole process is still very uh, front and center to my life, I would say. Um, not that it's the only thing in my life, but, um, you know, it is It is still very much a, a big part of, you know, what's made me who I am today. Um, so I guess to go into a little bit of that, um, you know, growing up, I, I had always been overweight at least and later on obese, um, always kind of assumed that that was just me, like it was a, an inherent trait of mine that wasn't really uh, something that I could change. Um, I also started having issues with binge eating fairly early, I would say probably around the age of seven or eight. Um, and I, I come from a family of... Uh, both of my parents are look very, very physically fit. Um, my dad's actually a commercial roofer, and my mom has always been very, very thin. But um, my dad, because of his job, was a very big eater and expected me to be a very big eater, too. Um, I think it's just a generational thing. You know, the more you eat, the healthier you are kind of idea. Um Mm. And uh, my mom definitely had a lot of hangups with food with the, you know, oh, you're still hungry. Oh, that's, you know, that cream cheese has a lot of fat in it. You know, a lot of those sorts of comments. So um, it was very confusing. You know, I had one parent kind of encouraging me to eat everything in the house. And then the other parent who was like, you really shouldn't be eating that. It's not good for you. So, um, you know, it's sort of hard not to develop some, some issues surrounding food in that sort of environment. So, um, yeah. yeah. And as a kid, I just remember feeling very, uh, as a kid and a teenager and a young adult, um, feeling just very trapped in, in my physical body and also sort of being disconnected from it. Like, um, you know, I was always very high achieving when it came to, more intellectual pursuits like studying and school. I was always uh, a fantastic student and, um, you know, just really focused on, on learning. Um, but that can be very sedentary. Um, you know, the, the physical side of life never really was a high point for me. Um, I did some sports here and there, but I never really stuck with them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's kind of funny, like thinking back on, on the, the dreams I used to have when I was a kid, a lot of them surrounded running and, um, like mm -hmm. feeling fast and, and kind of free in my body and being able to run as quick as I wanted to. 
And, you know, thinking back on that now, it's, it's sort of, it's funny, it's interesting, but it's also sort of sad. It really shows how, how trapped I felt in, in my physical body. Um, you know, I wasn't able to move as well as the other kids. You know, if I, if I ever played tag or hide and seek, you know, God forbid I ever got caught because I was never going to be able to tag anybody else. Um, so, um, yeah, I just remember this like overwhelming feeling of just like, I guess sort of, you know, my understanding of myself was my brain and my body was just not really a part of who I was. It was just sort of like what, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I just never really felt at peace or at home in it. Um, and then, mm. you know, I, I made it all the way through uh, college. And of course, in high school, you know, I would have those days where, you know, I would eat a lot. And then I would tell myself, well, you know, just don't tomorrow, you just won't eat anything. And that'll make up for it. You know, so that sort of thinking was already starting. But it was never, you know, I never really tried to lose weight until I, I was, uh, you know, finished with graduate school. I was, um, you know, I believe 25. It's been so long. So it's been such a long process for me that it's hard to keep track of exact times. Um, but I believe I was 25. And, um, you know, I, I discovered Reddit, which is such a great resource for weight loss. Um, I mean, it's a great resource for a lot of things. But for weight loss in particular. And, you know, I, I just remember hearing all through life that uh, weight loss was, you could lose weight, you know, anybody could lose weight, but you may as well not even bother because everyone regains it in the end was sort of the message that I always heard. You know, you would see like people on those talk mm. shows or even shows like The Biggest Loser I don't know if that, that wasn't really popular when I was young. So that wasn't really a part of it, but you know, like Oprah or, you know, those sorts of talk shows or, or even the news shows in the morning, you know, they would have people on who had lost, you know, a hundred, 200 pounds, but then regained it all back. And then some, or were stuck in that yo-yo dieting sort of situation where, you know, they, they drop 50 pounds, they put on 60, they drop 40, they put on 30. And it was just like a lifetime of the back and forth, which kind of leaves a person mm. with the thought of like, why bother? You know, like I'm, I'm enjoying eating mm. all of this food that's really bad for me. And there's no point in stopping doing that because if I stop doing that, I might lose the weight, but then I'll just end up regaining it back and then possibly more anyway. So, you know, why bother? Um, but then once I discovered Reddit and in particular, the, the progress pictures subreddit, um, there were people who looked like me at the start and um, lost the weight. And they would come back a year later and say, you know, this this is amazing. I've been able to maintain this, you know, don't, don't believe anybody who tells you that it's not possible or whatever. And at that point, I was like, you know what, I've, I've tried everything else, as far as um, trying to feel good in the body that I have, and none of it's working. So why not, you know, it, it couldn't, the situation couldn't have possibly gotten worse from there. Um, 
if given a solid effort. I was uh, almost 320 pounds. I'll never forget the day that I started. I was 318.5 pounds, which um, and that 0.5 matters. Um, and I think that translates to <laughs> about 145 kilos um, for anybody who mm. doesn't go by the American, which is like the rest of the world. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was one of those things where I, I can't even tell you why I started. It was just, I woke up one morning and I was like, this isn't working for me. And I had, I really felt yeah. like there was, there was nothing to lose. And even if it didn't work, so what? So I tried for a couple of weeks and it didn't work and that was it. Um, but obviously it did work. So, um, and I didn't start with keto. Um, I started just counting calories, logging everything that I ate in my fitness pal. Um, and just, that's why my advice to anybody is, is don't think too much about it. Just make one change and just start. That, that is a, a really powerful thing for a lot of people to hear, you know, because as you said, um, at the start you were like, well, why bother? Um, I'm just going to regain the weight anyway. And, and, and I think that's, you know, something that maybe, uh, the world was projecting on you. Um, and you, you couldn't really see much around that sort of that headspace, I guess. And, and, and from now, you know, um, you, you must look back and, and just, you know, just wonder how, how you started and then how you got to where you are. So what was, what was some of the motivation behind why you started eating a, a low carb ketogenic diet? Because you said before that you started off just counting calories. Was there anything about just counting calories that um, you wanted to accelerate or is it, or deaccelerate or, you know, what, what was some of the, the mindset behind um, starting a ketogenic diet? Well, uh, it was, it was really a couple of things. So I lost my first about 80 pounds in, I would say the span of seven or eight months with calorie counting. And that, that does tend to happen with people who do have a lot of weight to lose. The initial weight comes off really quickly, which is such a, I can't even describe to you how powerful a motivator that is. Like, thank goodness that that is the way that, that, you know, physiology works because if it was slow at the start, it would be hard to stick to. Um, but what I realized was like, well, I was, you know, I actually, um, before I started the weight loss process as a whole, I was told, um, when I was 18, I went for a physical, which is required of everyone before they go to college. You know, you have to get a physical done, make sure that you're up to date with all of your vaccinations and all of that stuff. And I was told by the nurse practitioner at my, um, I was still uh, seeing my um, my pediatric doctor at the time, um, and uh, the nurse practitioner basically said uh, I had a lot of the, uh, the the signs and symptoms of type two diabetes. I had the skin darkening um, on the back of my neck. Um, I had uh, lots of issues with hypo and hyperglycemia, um, needing naps before a meal because I would just get so exhausted and then immediately after, you know, when that insulin kicks in. Um, so, you know, I started the weight loss process, didn't really give the, the type two thing a lot of thought 
Um, and then again, you know, perusing the, the weight loss communities on Reddit. Um, all of a sudden I, I started reading all about this, this keto thing. And, uh, it was very popular at the time and everybody was sort of, uh, jumping on board. So I looked through my fitness pal logs and kind of was taking a closer look at the, the caloric breakdown, you know, my macros, fat, protein, carbohydrate, and realized that I had already sort of cut out a lot of the, the carbohydrate sources, you know, um, just through calorie counting, because it really does become a budgeting issue where you know that you, you only have so much that you can eat in a day. And you know that a slice of toast is only going to keep you full for an hour. Um, you kind of learn really quickly to sort of get rid of that and replace it with a turkey burger patty or, you know, um, uh, something kind of similar to that, you know, something a little bit more protein heavy. Um, wasn't really, uh, you know, eating a lot of fat at the time. And I definitely did struggle with that when I did first uh, move to keto was I was eating um, low carb and lowish fat still, which is okay if you still have a lot of weight to lose because your body either uses the fat from your plate or the fat from your body. So it's okay to do that at first. Um, obviously now it's, it's totally different in maintenance, but um, yeah, I was just looking through my fitness pal logs and it's like, you know, eating 75 to 100 grams of carbohydrate a day and, you know, reading the, the ketogenic macro breakdown of, of 20. And I was like, you know, it, it really, I would just really have to cut a couple of things and I would be at that point. And, um, you know, people talk about feeling better and having these, these energy increases. And then I, I started really thinking back on the, the type 2 diabetes thing started reading a lot more about um, uh, metabolic dysfunction and hormone dysfunction associated with carbohydrate intake and um, realizing that I probably had, you know, I, I most definitely had full-blown type 2 diabetes that was just undiagnosed because I stayed away from the doctor to avoid being diagnosed with it. Um, and uh, at that point, I was like, you know, this is probably the best move for me with a history like that and a history of morbid obesity and a history of, you know, struggling with, um, binge eating, which I also heard, you know, keto could help with. I kind of just jumped in one day and I was like, you know, I'm already close enough to that level. It wouldn't be a huge sacrifice. Let's just give it a try and see how it goes. Yeah, right. And um and so that's interesting that you say that your carbs were already pretty low and you sort of figure that out just by, you know, deciding that these types of foods would keep you fuller for longer than these types of foods. And that's really interesting, you know, cuz um uh you know, when you go into any any part of the world, a lot of their diets are actually based from fr a lot from carbohydrates because it keeps them full, but in in actual fact you know those those carbohydrates don't actually keep you full they just provide volume and and it's not and it's not that sort of um nutrition that's going to um you know push you in the right direction so that's that's really interesting and and if anyone's looking for the 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 keto or reddit that we're talking about here or reddit in general i'll put that in the show notes um because that's a really helpful uh, forum for anyone who's looking to start anything basically <laughs> reddit's fantastic and they have these like frequently asked questions panels and 
and they have uh, you know a whole bunch of different questions, and it's basically just a, a, a you know a forum. A bas- what a forum is is you can go on there and ask questions, and you can get responses, and people from all around the world can can comment and you know tell you that you know this is right or this is wrong, and um, and and when I when I first started keto, I actually started on Reddit too. Uh, so that's uh, it's yeah, it is a really really great um, source of information. Um, and so you know, you were saying before that you lost, uh, you eventually lost 192 pounds, which is uh, you know almost 90 kilos. So so the first half of that, I guess, was was um, just through calorie counting, and I guess. Uh, subconsciously lowering the carbs a little bit to to the point where you could sustain something over a, a you know day to day basis, and then so the 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 less the sorry the the other half of that was was done in a, a like a ketogenic state. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's amazing <laughs> because you know that's that's sort of like you've you've been piggybacking me around for a long time and then you've just let go of me um and so i'm i'm around 90 kilos or 87 or whatever it is and so that that's that's amazing that that is uh such a uh you know congratulations i can't i can't really say much more than that because i i I haven't been through that process myself so um i don't know whether it's something that I, i i i'm not able to relate to in the point where if you um you know there's certain things that you just get along the way when you learn these types of things. Um, and and so, you know, I, I think a lot of people out there who are probably connecting much more with you right now. <laughs> um, so h- how does how does everyday life change for you when you've been on both sides of that equation? Because, you know, I, I, f- I, I, f- I feel that there are some things in life that may change when you go from uh, one side of the scale to the other, so to speak, is there is is there was there anything that you found that happened when when you were you know back from when you were twenty five and going through high school and uh, those types of things as to where you are now? Do do people treat you any differently? Is there anything that sort of goes around that, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of one of those things where you know those uh those viewfinder toys from probably back in the seventies and eighties where, um, you, you held the viewfinder up to your eyes and you would click through the photos and you could see through the photos still to what was like in the room. Um, I almost feel like the, the image has totally changed, I guess, like the, the lens through which I see the world now is 180 degrees from where it was before, if that makes any sense. Um, it's, it's almost hard to pick. It's, it's hard to kind of encapsulate it in, in one big picture idea. There are definitely specific examples. Um, you know, I was always sort of, I was definitely picked on as, as a young kid. Um, I remember, the, the very first time being aware that I was obese or overweight was when I was four. And um, we have a niece around that age now. So it's, it's really strange to think about having that level of subconsciousness around your body at that age. Um, 
but I mean, it was, it was the early nineties. So it, I, I feel like the levels of obesity and, and childhood, um, childhood obesity in particular were much lower then. So nowadays it might be different where there might be a higher percentage of, of children in a classroom, for example, who do struggle with their weight. Um, when I was that age, I was it, you know, I, I was the, the one kid in class who was overweight. Um, so, you know, there, there was some teasing, um, but I was a very quiet and subdued person. Even then, um, I, I think I tried to kind of skate by without anybody really paying attention or noticing me. Um, I did, I tried not to draw very much attention to myself and a lot of that had to do with weight. Um, so, uh, that was a, a big, big part of what I thought was my personality was, was being highly introverted, um, you know, sort of guarded and very private. And I thought that that was just a part of my personality. Like I said, almost kind of like how being overweight, I felt like was something that, um, was just a part of me. That's, that was a thing that I was always going to carry around literally in that case. Um, and, uh, so yeah, even, even up through, you know, the beginning of young adulthood, you know, a lot of my time and energy was focused on just not being noticed. Um, I wouldn't make any big changes to my appearance or the clothes that I would wear because I wouldn't want anybody to say, oh, that looks different and then notice me, you know? Um, I, I didn't want to call attention to myself in a physical sort of way at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, I never really felt very confident to stand up for myself in times when I could have been more assertive and should have been more assertive. Um, and I, I thought that I was, that was just another part of my personality. Um, I, I was kind of afraid or intimidated of people in general, especially people who, who were, um, it's funny when you're, when you're that overweight or that obese, literally everything circles around appearance, which so probably sounds strange from the outside, but that's all you notice about other people because you feel like that's all other people will notice about you, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, when I'd walk into a room, I would immediately assume that's the first thing that, that anybody would notice was that, and I hate to use this word because it, it just sounds awful, but like, oh, she's fat. You know, that's, that's like trait number one is, is Meg is fat. And then everything else falls after that, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember even sort of the beginning of my weight loss process, this one point in time, I was riding my bike through my neighborhood to get to the gym so I could do some resistance training. And this, uh, this car full of teenage boys threw garbage at me, um, while I was on my bike. And, uh, that was one of those moments too, where it's, you hear about it all the time where it's like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to get in better shape and you're going to, you know, heckle me or pick on me for doing the thing that I should be doing. But, you know, and, and they were just teenage boys, whatever. It's not a big deal. But in that moment, you know, there's that embarrassment of, 
of course they would do that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a fat person on a bike kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just little things like that. You know, anytime I would hear people laughing in public, I would just assume that it was about me. Um, you know, it really does color kind of every part of your mindset, uh, when you are in that position. Um, and, and there's also this sort of weird thing that happens, probably not weird, but, um, where you assume there, there's such a moralistic part of being overweight. That's like, well, that person doesn't have enough willpower or they're lazy or they're, um, you know, there are a lot of personality traits that are ascribed to people who do struggle with their weight a lot of assumptions that are made, um, culturally, and it becomes very easy to kind of let yourself be that if that's how you feel everyone is seeing you as. Um, so it becomes very easy to just sort of settle into those, uh, low expectations of who you are as a person. It's, it's sort of a vicious cycle really, isn't it? Because you, you know, if you, if you, as you said before, you know, you were on your bike on your way to the gym and then someone just tears you down. And so, and then you go, well, why am I doing this in the first place? Is that, does that, is that sort of the cycle that goes around in your head in on those days? And then does it sort of make you just feel like you want to quit and give up? Well, I think by that point in time, I had already lost about 40 or 50 pounds. So if that had happened on my day one, I think that it would have put me in a really, really bad mental state. But because I had already been successful for a period of time, it actually kind of like lit a fire for me. I was like, you know what? I, yeah, I won't okay. be treated like that. Um, and it has nothing to do with weight. It was, it was sort of uh, the beginning, I guess, of, of the transformation that I've had to um, – giving myself more agency and more power and, and what happens. Um, you know, I, I tell people this all the time, but you don't have to be a victim of circumstance. You can, you can take control of, um, it's, it's a very, it's one of those things that's kind of rooted in the stoicism mindset where it's like, you can't control what people think, say, or do around you, but you can control how you respond to it. And that became one of, mm. one of my first lessons in that is really just like it happened, you know, their, if their mothers had seen that, they would be so disappointed in them. And, uh, you know, it just, it kind of more than anything, like I said, just kind of gave me that, that first chance for me to say, you know, I'm doing this for all the right reasons and I'm doing all the right things and how someone else behaves around me has very little to do with with what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's a that's a really powerful um, way to think about it, you know. Because uh, I always remember watching this. I think it was just a short clip, but uh, that Will Smith put up, and he was saying, you know, you you can't control any of the aspects of your past, but you can control how you move forward, or how you learn from that, or how you do the next thing. Um, and don't let any of those things from your past hold you back. Um, and and that was, to me, that was powerful, you know, and he was more talking about how, you know, if someone's 
parents were alcoholics or, you know, they, they, a person would go through their life and just think that they were going to be an alcoholic as well. And, um, and you, you know, you have the power to change that and you have the power to be a different person. Uh, don't let those, those, those past aspects or cultures or expectations or what you're talking about before rule what you, you think you should do. And so it sounded like you, you were on the right track there. Um, and that, and that is so important when you're trying to, you know, move towards something that you believe is the right thing to do is that you need to be able to, um, uh, shake it off as Taylor Swift would say. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, so, so now that you're where you are today, um, you know, is, is some of that stuff that you went through, um, how do I say this? Like, for anyone who's out there who was in the same spot as you were, you know, tr- you know, on the on the way to the gym or or trying to lose this weight, you know, as you were saying before, the the cultural expectations that it, you, you know, you're a, a lazy person or you know, it's just totally wrong. And and so what what would you say to someone who was in that, or what would you say to yourself about those expectations? You know, uh, you were, you sort of touched on a little bit before, but I think those those motivations and the stoic mindset, I guess, is, is a very powerful way to move forward in life. Yeah. So for me, actually, on day one, and something that I, I still do keep in mind, but I, I don't rely on it as much, I guess I don't need to, is just remembering that the time will pass anyway. Um, so you can wake up a year from today being closer to where you want to end up. And this is to do with anything. Um, I always try to keep my goals very, very long term. And the way that I frame goals for myself is I, I look at people around me or, you know, on Instagram or, or just, um, you know, people from history or whatever. And I look at the traits that they have or the, the accomplishments that they've been able to achieve. And I ask myself what I can do today to get me closer to that, whatever that is. Um, and, uh, so I, I try to keep, you know, this, this bigger picture in mind. I know a lot of people have these, a lot of people tend to focus more on the short term goals. Like, uh, in a month from now, I want to, have lost five pounds or something like that. And I guess when you, when you have almost 200 pounds to lose, um, and just to kind of draw that into, I guess the bigger picture, that's, I've lost 60% of, I'm, I've lost 60% of where I was when I started. So, um, that's, you have to have a big picture mindset with something like that. I feel like that you, you have to acknowledge that it's not a month by month operation, that it's going to take some time and that it's going to be massively life changing. I was just talking about this with someone this morning. Um, a lot of people who do get stuck in that yo-yo cycle of, of gaining, losing, gaining, losing, they don't let the process change them. They want to be the same person that they are, 
but thin. And it doesn't work that way. You can't remain who you are and change something that is that. I mean, maybe if you have 20 pounds to lose, 30 pounds to lose, even 50 pounds to lose, it's different. But staring down losing 200 pounds, you have to acknowledge that you are going to change whether you want to or not, both mentally and physically. And the changes may not always be good. The things that I was worried about at the start, you know, I was terrified of loose skin. I was terrified of what I was really the most worried about was that the, the damage that I had done to my body was already so great at the age of 25 that even losing the weight wouldn't reverse it. Um, you know, you, you, you just have to acknowledge when you have that large of an undertaking that it is going, the process is going to change you. And in order to be able to accomplish that task, you have to let it. And I think that that's where a lot of people struggle, especially people who are already in established relationships with maybe a partner who isn't on board with, with getting healthy, or if they have to lose weight, they, um, you know, they may not be on board right away. Um, a big struggle is that you, you have these two lives that have sort of intertwined roots with one another. And then one of those people is going through this crazy, crazy life transformation. And the other person either has to grow to accommodate that or they end up having to go their separate ways because it's incompatible to the, the health and the nature of the relationship. So I, I feel like, you know, the advice that I would give to anybody is that if you really want this to be a change forever, you have to let it change you. You can't just pick and choose the parts that you want and the parts that you don't want, you kind of have to take it all. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <clears throat> really important for someone to hear, you know. And and it it sounds like that you learned a lot about uh, yourself over that journey. Um, you know, what were some of the bi- biggest successes throughout that journey? And then, in contrast, what were some of the the failures along the way? Because you know, inevitably over a long period of time, you're going to have successes and failures. And I guess it's depending on how you get back from those failures that you, that you can sort of turn them into successes. What, what were some of those, you know, those successes and failures along the way? Sure. Um, the successes I would say are the, really the, the change in my mindset. Um, you know, I've mentioned this to a few people before, but um, a job that I worked was sort of in a more um, central business district location. Um, so it was really the parking was limited to street parking. And I used to pay $10 a day to park in a parking garage right across the street from my office to avoid having to walk one block. And thinking about that is at this point as someone who can run 13 miles without, 
I mean, not that running 13 miles isn't difficult. It is difficult, but I can, I can knock that out on a Saturday morning. Um, is just, I cannot even believe sometimes that I am the same person as the person that wasted all of that money just to avoid walking one city block. Um, just the, the overall change I feel like in, and I, I still do tend more toward the self-conscious side of things. Um, I do still worry, you know, when you've, when you've changed your physical body that much in, in that period of time, even though it did take a while, I still do sort of see myself as an obese person. And I think that it'll take some time. I'm not giving, I'm not beating myself up over having those feelings. I think that it's normal. Um, but you know, like I said before, when I would hear people laughing in public, I would assume that it's about me. I still kind of have that a little bit. Um, or if I'm at like a family get together and the chair that I have to sit in doesn't look very sturdy, I worry about it. Um, just these little things. So I do have a little bit of self con uh, confidence issues or self consciousness issues. Um, but overall, I would say that um, I'm a much more confident person. Um, and even doing something like this reminds me of how much more willing I am to put myself out there and just uh, be who I am and not worry about how I'm going to be seen or how people will interpret what I'm saying. I just feel this sort of freedom to be exactly the person that I am and look like the person that I am. And like when I get dressed in the morning, it used to be that I would hem and haw in front of my closet trying to find the clothes that I thought would cover me up the best and hide this lump and this roll and this whatever. And, you know, shopping was a nightmare. And now, you know, shopping is a nightmare, but for other reasons, because women's clothing sizes are crazy. But it's like I can, um, for example, not to like, darken the mood or anything, but, um, a close family member passed away a couple, uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And, um, I had to just on the fly buy an outfit for the, uh, the services and, you know, at 320 pounds, that would have been an undertaking. I would have been panicked about, you know, what, what stores are going to have the size that I need and the colors that I need and all of that, because it was such a specialty size. And now I can just walk into a target or, um, you know, any major clothing store and usually find something right off the rack that it may not be my favorite thing to wear, but it'll get the job done. It'll be appropriate. It'll be the right color. It'll be the right size. So just those like daily worries, I feel like um, no longer carrying, literally carrying the weight of those daily worries has been a huge success for me. Um, you don't realize how, how many things you're constantly thinking about when you are that size of like trying to hide behind pillows when you sit down or position yourself in photos so that people won't see how, how much space you take up and um, 
you know, getting a, a table at a restaurant instead of a booth because you may not fit. Um, fitting into, I remember in high school, anytime I had to ride in anybody's two-door vehicle, it would be such a panic. Like, are they going to make me sit in the back? How will I climb in? How will I climb out? Um, all of those little worries throughout the day really add up to just a constant low level of, not panic, that sounds dramatic, but just stress and um, not having to think about those things anymore just frees up so much mind space for other things. Um, so that's been a huge success. And just overall, um, I feel like I'm just a much better advocate for myself now. Like when, when something happens, even something silly at the grocery store, like someone, you know, pushes past me in a rude way or whatever, you know, before I would sort of like try to fade into the background and not say anything. But now it's like, excuse me, you know, like <laughs> you didn't see me there. That wasn't very polite. Like I just, I feel like I'm much more willing to show up for myself and say, I'm a person who deserves to be here just as much as anybody else does. And that's not to say that I didn't when I was overweight, but I certainly didn't feel that way. Um, I, I didn't feel like I, I deserved to take up the space that I did. So to me, that's been the biggest change is just seeing myself as, as a person who's worthy and a person who, you know, I take up the physical space that I take up and that's, I own it, you know, that's been a, a big deal for me. And then yeah, I, I, it's it's probably strange to, to really put into words like that. Uh, it's one of those things that you feel more than you talk about, but that's just sort of my experience with it. And then to sort of go with the failures, um, one big life-changing thing for me in the past couple of years has been um, some pretty serious medical diagnoses. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, psoriatic arthritis and Crohn's disease around the same time, which they're both autoimmune diseases that are generally degenerative. Um, so they get worse over time, uh, regardless of a lot of the things that you do. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those, it will be what it is um, situations. Um, so I guess like, it's not really a failure because it wasn't anything that I did, but I, I sort of, um, you know, I really struggled with getting these chronic illness diagnoses after I had lost a significant amount of weight. Um, because it was sort of like, you know, I'm finally doing all the right things and this is when this stuff crops up. Um, so it can it can be really frustrating. A lot of people assume that I was sick before and that was what helped me to lose the weight when in reality I think I had lost about 120, 130 pounds when I was diagnosed already. So um, it kind of came after. Um, but when I was dealing with a lot of the symptoms before I was able to be formally diagnosed, I ended up um, really struggling with binge eating, which... Um, has always been a, an issue for me. And I regained about 50 pounds in the span of, I want to say, three or four months. And it was all I was, I was just overeating keto food, you know, a lot of sausage, a lot of cheese, a lot of cream cheese, a lot of just the really rich and heavy stuff. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you shouldn't be binging, you know, on, on that stuff. 
Um, so that was, that was one, I don't even know if it was a, a failure because I do feel like I learned something from that experience and it did allow me to sort of realize that the binge eating, a lot of people assume that keto is going to solve their binge eating problems. It's really just a bandaid. It'll, it limits the foods that you would typically binge on. Um, so that you're not, you don't have the exposure to them. But I feel like because it cropped up for me on keto foods, it wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the carbohydrate intake wasn't the problem with my binging. Um, so, yeah, that was a big setback for me. But then, you know, I had a realization that I was almost 200 pounds again. And it was just that wasn't going to be me anymore. And I just stuck with it and got it done. It took me a little over a year to finally reach my goal weight after that. But because I had been, I had been within 10 or 15 pounds of my goal weight and then regained 50 pounds. So that put me close to 200 and then had to get back down to 140, which was my goal, which I hit last May. So, well, congratulations on hitting your goal and um i'm really sorry to hear about the the member the family member who passed away i just wanted to say that from before um the the binge eating um is something that i think people struggle with regardless of weight you know um and and it sounds like uh, you might have some some really uh, good answers for some of this and you know i like i when i was a kid i i had you know just held more weight than than usual and and i'm a really tall guy i'm six foot five and for me i was just always considered Mm -hmm. the big guy you know um and so i i was fortunate enough to to lose the weight before i sort of got to high school age um just by i don't know playing football and you know just being being relatively active and my parents were were pretty conscious with nutrition but um, binge eating has always been something that, you know, sort of sits in the back of not only my mind, but, um, in, in, you know, ev- everyone around me, you know, it's, it's all about eating healthy food. And, uh, and, you know, a, a lot of people do say that as, as long as you're eating the, the right food, it doesn't really matter how much you eat. But I, I sort of, um, tend to disagree with that because there's always a limit. And, you know, when, when people say calories don't matter on keto, I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about this. And you know, it's, is is there some advice that you might be able to give to someone um, about binge eating, not necessarily um, on carbs as you were saying before, but just on on keto food and 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 that feeling of just wanting to eat more and more. Is that? Do you have any advice for people who do struggle with that? Well, I definitely feel like there's. Um especially in our community, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of binge eating and talk of binge eating and emotional eating. And, um, I've actually been, this has been kind of at the forefront of my mind recently, um, did an Instagram live a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're doing another one on Sunday, uh, the eighth, which maybe after, um, this comes out or before, uh, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I hit the point in my weight loss process where I knew that if I didn't tackle that problem, 
that I would probably never reach my goal. And if I did reach my goal, that it would be very, very difficult to maintain because I am definitely a believer that calories do matter. The amount of food that we eat does matter. You know, in times of famine in the past, people didn't have access to food. They weren't maintaining their weight. They were losing weight. And it wasn't because of stress or hormones. It was because they had a reduced caloric intake. Um, I don't believe that all calories are equal. There's definitely a metabolic and a hormonal load associated with certain types of calories like carbohydrate, for example. Um, but I, I do think that overall the, qu uh, the quantity of food is important for, for main, uh, maintaining, gaining, losing. Um, the, the, um, the thing that really shifted for me with binge eating was, uh, reading a book by an author named Katherine Hansen called Brain Over Binge. And in it, she outlines a therapeutic approach that is not typically used for binge eating or eating disorders in general, but is used to treat things like anxiety or OCD. Um, basically, the idea of those pervasive and intrusive thoughts that we get, um, you know, like they can range from silly to more serious, like when you're in a store full of glass vases, for example, or, or little porcelain figurines, you just have this urge to throw something or, or, you know, whip your hands around and, and break everything, you know, those that would be like an intrusive thought. And we would hear that thought and sort of dismiss it because we know that it's silly or it's weird or socially unacceptable. Um, and she posits that the urge to binge is much the same where it's sort of rooted in this survival instinct that we may have forced to crop up by restrictively dieting, um, which kind of tells our bodies and our, our primitive brains that we're, we're lacking in food. And the next time that we see food, we really need to eat a lot of it. Um, it, helped us survive as a species in the past, but it's maladaptive to today's society because we have grocery stores full of food. Um, so I'm really, I'm a person who's really logical and, you know, scientifically minded and I'm definitely a skeptic. So reading an approach like that really connected with me because it, you know, she goes into neuroscience, neuroplasticity, um, you know, parts of the brain, like the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and the prefrontal cortex. And it just really, I, um, my bachelor's is in psychology. So I, I definitely have an interest in, in neuropsych and all of those things. So reading that book really changed my life because it, it put into perspective the fact that like it, the urge to binge wasn't a curse that I would have to live with forever. It was just this weird faulty wiring in my brain that if I, if I decided that I was going to recover and I followed the steps that she sort of, sort of outlines, um, that I could recover and I've been fully recovered from binging. I haven't had a relapse in a year and a half. So, um, thank you. And I really feel like, you know, reading that book and, and reading an approach like that, a lot of people, when I recommend it, think that it's going to be this like flowery, life-changing self-help book when in reality it's, you know, it's, it's very no nonsense. It's like, you know, binge eating is a habit. This is how we break habits. This is how we rewire our brains. Um, 
you know, and, and we do that every day with other things that we want to change. Like if you're a nail biter or if you chew on pens or if you chew a lot of gum, which is still a problem I have, um, or, you know, you twirl your hair, any of those sorts of habits, if you want to change them, you change them. Um, and you know, she, she made it seem like binge eating was a, a problem that could be tackled. And I, I found that really helpful. So I've been, you know, that's, that's been at the forefront of my mind recently is, is really trying to help the community identify the fact that we seem to have a lot of, a lot of people want to call it something silly, like, uh, emotional eating or eating like, you know, a garbage person or whatever they kind of make a joke about it when in reality it's like you don't have to live like that and there's there are solutions out there if you're looking for them mm, yeah um, that's, that's really awesome i'll put the link to that book in the show notes as well brain over binge because uh, i think um yeah for a lot of people that would be very very helpful um and so uh you know uh i wanted to dive in a little bit into uh, the exercise that you do and and show on Instagram. And you sort of alluded to it before where you said you could run 13 miles. Um, how, how has running changed your life? And, and in particular, did you think that um, running was going to be a solution for weight loss or is it being something completely different for you? Um, it definitely started as a component part of of the weight loss process, I actually started running right around 300 pounds, which, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily advise people to jump right in. I started with the couch to 5k running program. Um, and there was this sort of, I don't know if you've heard of zombies run. Um, yeah, that came out right around that same time that I was beginning to get interested in, in maybe taking on some physical activity. And, uh, I got so hooked into playing it. It was so fun for me um, that, you know, that kind of took me through the process. And I, I definitely would say that that running started as a supplement to I'm a firm believer that weight loss is 90 to 95 percent. It happens in the kitchen. Everything else, you know, I, I think that um Exercise is wonderful for self-confidence, for body composition. I feel like it's helped me minimize the amount of loose skin that I do have. Um, it's helped me build more muscles so that I burn more at rest. Um, and it, you know, the self-confidence though is huge. You know, you you when you finish a good workout, you really feel like you can tackle anything else that the day has to give you. Uh, I really do feel that way. So. Um, it started out as a weight loss thing, but totally transformed. And now I can't imagine my life without being active every single day, um, in some capacity. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I started with just doing the, the couch to 5k app and over the past six or so years, I've slowly built up, um, to where, you know, I can kind of slam out two hours of cardio, no problem. And, you know, go on with the rest of my day. And is that something that you do in the mornings or is that, are you, do you usually work out in the afternoons? Oh, I'm absolutely a morning person. My alarm goes off at three o'clock every morning. Three o'clock. Uh, Saturdays. Yeah. Wow. Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, any day. 
Um, well, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I guess for it, it depends on the schedule that you prefer, but I definitely feel the most alert, alive, aware in the morning. And I like that feeling of just, like I said, you accomplish this one hard thing in the day. Anything else that comes up throughout the day is sort of like, I already did this one really, really difficult thing. So you just tackle it. It sets you up for success later on. And I guess, you know, it's sort of the domino effect too because you you push that one hard thing over and then everything else seems incomparable to it. <laughs> and so you right. just doing everything. And, and, and I, I sort of structure my days around that as well. I think of myself as a morning person, but I'm not like the 3 a.m. sort of morning person. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, like, uh, it's it's so good to, to, to know that you – have had all of these, um, you know, you're, you've got all these stories and you have, um, I think, I, you know, this podcast could just go on for so long because the the amount of information that you have and the amount of knowledge that you've acquired throughout your journey and throughout your life, um, you know, so many people can benefit from this. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I really just, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast because I know it is it is a little bit daunting at first because you you – I guess there's a there's there's something that you you really want to to be able to tell those those people out there and you know so that I, I just I just wanted to thank you. We'll come back to the 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 thing that you might tell people um, a little bit later on, but I'd like to um, sort of end the the podcast on a few quick questions. Sure. And you know they they they're like quick questions, but I like to flesh them out a little bit when necessary. <laughs> um, and so, what is your favorite? Um, keto related food what what's something that you really really enjoy okay so I know that I'm extremely late to the game in this regard um, but because I was dealing with so many uh, health issues my diet was very limited for a really long time I also have celiac disease so a lot of the things that that keto people eat you know they still do have wheat in them like those low-carb tortillas and like, uh, we can't really go to restaurants or anything because I have to worry about cross-contamination. So my diet does tend to be very limited, very simple, very basic. But I just, a couple of weeks ago, discovered um, pre-made cauliflower pizza crust. And I am I am obsessed. I, I don't do the ricing of the cauliflower at home because the last time that I did it, you know, it, it like snowed all over my kitchen with cauliflower powder. So, and I have like a high end food processor that's supposed to be pretty good and pretty well sealed. And it just, I was finding it for months after. So I don't play around with that anymore, but I discovered these pre-made cauliflower pizza crusts and every weekend now it's like Saturday and Sunday, even tonight I'm making a pizza for myself. Um, I cannot get enough. And Chicken thighs. Chicken thighs. Okay. Those are my, yes, yeah, my two absolute favorites. What would you put on the cauliflower pizza crust? Is there a particularly favorite topping that you enjoy? Actually, that relates directly to the chicken thighs. Um, I also recently discovered, um, didn't think that I was really much of a fan of barbecue sauce, but I discovered this, um, it's called G. Hughes barbecue sauce. I don't know if you guys have it in Australia, mm. but it's a. Uh, it's made with, um, a different sweetener so it's still a little bit on the sweet side but it doesn't have a lot of sugar or any really in it um so i've been making barbecue chicken pizzas a lot 
Um, you know, <laughs> barbecue, yeah, barbecue chicken, some smoked Gouda cheese, uh, red onion. Um, just totally obsessed with those right now. Oh, all right. I'm going to have to make one of those sometime soon and I'll send a photo of it to you. I'll be like, I made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please do. They're so good. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, exercise? Um, definitely. Well, I don't know. I, I do like cardio and running um, for the mental clarity and the therapeutic benefits. But mm. I also uh, follow a pretty strict uh, weightlifting program. Um you know, all, all the big lifts, bench press, squats, uh, leg press, all that stuff. And that's definitely more of for the health benefit. Um, mm. You know, even my primary care physician was like, women need to lift weights. It's so good for osteoporosis and all those other things that, you know, aging can cause. So, um, I mean, I it's kind of like I would imagine picking a favorite child. Like, <laughs> I, I do both because I really do love both even though um, they kind of address different needs. Um, yeah. Both. We'll go with both. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> um, so I do, though. There is something really, really nice about just taking long, wandering walks, though, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I'm a huge proponent of those walks. And, and I remember when I first got my uh, – I, I bought a Fitbit a, a long time ago. And I, I thought that, um, you know, their app was really, really good to be able to motivate you to get out and go for walks. And so I, I was never really a big walker before then. I'd always either run or cycle. And um, and so trying to get 10,000 steps, regardless of how much exercise you've done, um, you know, just inevitably means that you have to walk places. And doing that was, a, you'd, it's like its own form of meditation. And I think yeah. running and cycling can sort of tie into this as well, but Walking in particular, you're not really going anywhere that quickly. So you're not, you're generally not on your way to something or you're not really like, um, you know, watching a watch and counting down the kilometers or, you know, trying to sit on a particular speed or something. Walking is just for, you know, mental clarity. And I think uh, as, as keto is for mental clarity, walking is for exercise. So <laughs> right. I t- would totally agree with you on that one. Uh, what is your least favorite keto food? Um, contrary to my Instagram username, I'm actually not really a fan of bacon. Interesting. Uh, that that surprises a lot of people. And pork in general, I, I can have a little bit of a hard time with. Um, it just doesn't really always appeal to me. Uh, so I, I tend to actually eat. I eat mostly chicken, um, some ground beef. Mm. But yeah, pork just, and um, another big one is uh, coconut oil. Absolutely hate it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Like the taste of coconut. Um, I don't like, I don't like oil, you know, things that are like sort of greasy or oily. I don't use a lot of butter. I don't use a lot of oil in cooking. Um, And yeah, that surprises a lot of people too, being on keto. And um, I did listen to um, Aaron's episode of your podcast i also really struggle with olives i'm teaching myself to love black olives 
But as I was telling Aaron after I listened to the podcast, I don't think green olives will ever have a place in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, I always remember my, I don't know whether I said this in the old podcast as well, but um, I always remember my sister, she would go to the shops and, you know, we'd, we'd I'd go in and I'd get some, I don't know, I'd get an avocado or something. And she'd walk out with a jar of olives. And I'm like, is that all you're getting? She's like, yep. I'm going to eat this entire thing, you know, whatever olives it was. <laughs> and turns out our family has a, a pretty big problem with salicylates. Yeah. And so generally, which are really high in, in olives and avocados, um, uh, you know, it, it, I think sometimes your body just craves the things that you can't have. And uh, even if you don't know about it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's bacon funny. and uh, you're working towards black olives. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, olives are great. I, I particularly like olives in Greek salads. And I don't know whether you. Yeah, I actually, there's a grocery store that is in my hometown. If anybody listens to this, they'll know uh, in in that area and, and part of the eastern seaboard in the U.S. is Wegmans. And they have this uh, mm. anapasto salad that does have olives in it. And that's how I sort of, I'm really, another big mindset shift is that I always used to seek out being comfortable when I was overweight. Like everything had to be exactly how I wanted it. It had to be super comfortable and I never really tried to push my own limits. And now I, even with food, I try to get myself to like things that I don't like. Um, if, I mean, if it's, if it's something like green olives, I'm not even going to bother, but something that's relatively <laughs> yeah. mild, like, um, you know, black olives or something like that. I, I try to push and find ways that I can get myself to like it um, because I feel like it's so important to just have this mindset of of wanting growth, whether that's in food choices or physical activity or, you know, a job or whatever it is. Um, you know, pushing yourself a little beyond where is comfortable for you, I think is just a, a huge skill. And I know that... Um, Tim Ferriss kind of coined the term uh, voluntary hardship. And I try to sort of live mm. that way in all things. I know the food thing, it, it sounds really silly, but, um, you know, I think it's important to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. So try things you don't like a couple different ways and see if there's a way that you kind of like it and give it a go. Yeah, I, I would, I would totally agree with you on that one. Um, and I think that, you know, through through those those hard walls, or you know, those little bits of discomfort, you actually find a lot of enjoyment. It's sort of like going through a video game, and you're constantly going up against these these bosses or bad guys or whatever it is. And generally, that means you're going in the right direction. Because if you were just going the easy way, you're just sort of going backwards. That's the analogy I like to use, anyway. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really a big video game person, but that is an, actually a really great analogy for it. That's that's excellent. I like that. <laughs> Neither am I actually. I, I always opted for music over over um, video games, but yeah, I like the the Super Mario analogy. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you have a? I know you mentioned a book um, before, um, but do you have any other books or videos that have recently inspired you? I'm actually, uh, this is uh, going to take a little bit of a darker turn, but I was recommended by a few people to read this book called um, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, uh, who is a physician. And um, it's all about uh, neuroplasticity and changes in the brain and the body as it relates to trauma, both in childhood and adulthood. 
I'm really, um, I go through these phases where some, some months or even years, I'm really, really interested in fiction. Um, and other times I just, I cannot even deal with it. And I, I prefer nonfiction mm. and I guess I'm in a nonfiction kind of place right now, but it is a really excellent book for anybody who is interested in neuroscience and, um, you know, things like post-traumatic stress disorder and all of that stuff. I, not that it's necessarily inspiring. I, in a way it is because it, it lends a different, um, sort of approach to the treatment of people with, uh, perceived mental illness. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just a topic that I'm really interested in. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but <laughs> no, this is, this is exactly everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> this is great. Um, uh, so, uh, so I used to be a musician for a long time, um, and I really like hearing people's music choice. Uh, is, is there any music that you've been listening to recently and uh, maybe some of the, the classics that you always go back to? Um, I'm sort of I, – I grew up in a house where uh, my dad plays uh, classical guitar, but he doesn't read music. He plays by ear. Um, so we would listen to the same – you know, bars or whatever you call it of music over and over and over until he could get it exactly correct. Um, and <laughs> yep. that style of music used to really irk me because I had to listen to it so much when I was young, you know, if he was focused on a particular, um, you know, like a, a particular piece of music, whether it was Yo-Yo Ma or whoever, it would be everywhere for us for months. And, um, so I, I used to really have this issue, but now I find like in times of stress, that is the music that I always return to. And I think it's just that feeling of nostalgia and of home where you sort of, you know, that was, that was the soundtrack of my childhood was hearing my dad kind of plucking these strings of his guitar over and over and then playing the, the CD as ad nauseum you know, in the car in in the basement in his room and all of that. So I definitely uh, fall back to a lot of that music, especially in times of stress. Um, it's, it's funny because I have this weird mix of music preference when I'm doing cardio or running, I have to listen to really loud, really aggressive hip hop or rap. Um, like yep, just awesome. totally obnoxious. If I hear the music while I'm not running, it horrifies me that I ever listen to it because it's like, you know, it tends to be a little bit misogynistic. It's like, you know, talking about all these things with women and all this stuff. And I'm just sort of like, yikes, that's, that's a lot to hear. Um, but that, it really gets me, you know, fired up, you know, Nelly, uh, Nas is a little bit more uh, socially aware, I guess, common also. Um, but, you know, things like Nelly or, or even like Notorious B.I.G., those kinds of things I, I, I like to listen to uh, during cardio. But then like just listening to in the car or at home, um, I tend toward the, the folksy side of things like folk, uh, bluegrass, uh, acoustic. Um, some of my favorites would be, um, things like Jose Gonzalez, the Lumineers, um, you know, oh. just sort of like quiet, peaceful yeah. music. I know that that's like such a, a, a night and day difference. Um, 
And another thing that, that I guess is like a weird interest of mine is I love cover songs. Um, there's something about taking something that one artist has created and reinterpreting it as your own. That is just, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me. Like to me, that that is the whole point and goal of, of art in general, but of music is, you know, we hear a song and we may think it's about something, but the artist meant it in a totally different way. And that's okay. Like that's what it's supposed to do. Um, so for me, uh, you know, hearing a really good cover song is like, you know, it hits all those right notes of it's a reinterpretation. It's a tribute. It's a, it's an exploration of maybe another genre that, um, the artist isn't necessarily known for. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, any type of cover song, just, it's such a unique experience to me. I don't know if, if people, like, if that's a thing people are in love with, our cover songs, but apparently I am, so. Well, so in Australia, we have a we have a pretty uh, overarching radio station here called Triple J, and they have this um, section that is called uh, Like a Version, and it's basically where, you know, artists come on, and they play their own song first, and then they do a cover second. So every Friday they do this cover, and they're always unbelievably, insanely good. Um, and so, yeah, as you were saying before, they're either interpretations or they're just like the real thing or if it's, um, you know, totally different. And and it's so, like I, I used to tune in every Friday morning just to listen to the like a version because they're, and then they put them up on YouTube now and things like that. But it's just, um, you know, those those different types of of variations on on what you actually think the song is about is is so interesting and what you were saying before about jose gonzalez massive massive fan of jose gonzalez i think you might also like uh, someone called james blake i don't know whether you've heard of him before i've heard the name and i feel like it's probably come up on spotify um before but i'll check him out yeah, I, I don't know whether he's from the UK or if he's from England or something, but he um he, he's he's not it's not extremely like Jose, but he um he does some very very creative things with uh, his voice and synth, and and it almost is very folky in in a in a way. Um, so you, you might you might like James Blake, and for anyone who's listening out there as well, uh, may also like that as well. So ah, oh, that's that's awesome. I I I don't think I've ever met. Um, someone with like very closely related musical uh, likings to mine, which is really awesome. Like when you were saying about the the hip hop before, and uh, yeah, obviously you know some of it can be really terrible, but you've got to try and pick out the right ones. Uh, and then yeah, some of the guitar related music, I guess, like the folky sort of. Uh, I don't necessarily listen to bluegrass too much, but um, yeah, that that folk stuff is just. We have a music festival here in Australia called uh, the Woodford Folk Festival, and I grew up going to it uh, every year. And it was something that I did a lot of uh, a lot of my life, and, and I guess I sort of dispatched from the hippie commune yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Came to where I am now. But, uh, you know, it's that there is some really, really great music out there. Um, and so, you know, it's so good hearing about all of this, but I, I like to end the podcasts with uh, just, uh, you know, some advice and I think you are someone who is um, ha- had have had, as I said before, have had a lot of experience, and and is very willing to 
learn from experience and learn from things going forward. And as you were saying, you know, the voluntary hardship uh, is is something that you you practice every day. And it's not that you you do too much of one thing on one day and then not enough on of, on another. You just sort of you're able to to practice that every single day. And and if someone out there is currently in your position that you were when you were 25, what advice would you give to them? And, you know, maybe you, you weren't in a position to really want any advice, but um, if there was something that you would be able to tell them, what would that be? And then, and then in contrast to that, what would you not tell them about it? Uh, maybe some of the things that you struggled with along the way that you just had to learn that you weren't necessarily needed to be told. Sure. Um, my biggest piece of advice for anybody is to just start. Um, just make the commitment that you're going to start. And I wouldn't even worry about on day one where you're hoping to end up or what that'll look like. Um, a line from the book Brain Over Binge that I, I find really, really profound is that, you know, it it stops mattering at a point what your life will look like after, like in that after space. You realize that you've just hit this point where things could be better, things could be worse, things could be whatever they are, and you just have to let the chips fall where they may. Um, and just get going in a direction. Um, and uh, as a part of that, uh, another really big piece of advice is to just start with something that you do every day that you can make a change to. And I'm, I'm always telling people, you know, it's, it's not about motivation. It's not about drive. Um, because motivation, you know, I'm not always motivated to get up when my alarm goes off at three o'clock in the morning. You know, some days are hard. Some days I haven't gone to bed until midnight and, you know, my alarm goes off three hours later and I don't want to get out of bed, but you have to, you have to make it a habit. Anything that you want to change in your life, you pick one daily thing. And even if, so for example, if you want to become a morning person, this has nothing really to do with weight loss, but if you really want to become a morning person and you're someone who sleeps until 11 or 12 in the day, um, and, and that's okay. People have different schedules. And if, if you're happy with that, that's fine. But if you want to make a change, you don't necessarily have to get up early on day one and go exercise or go do anything. You could just get up early, have a cup of coffee, make it a positive experience for yourself. You know, when your alarm goes off at 5am, just get out of bed, Go make yourself your favorite way of making coffee, whether that's like bulletproof coffee like Aaron makes or just, you know, coffee with some almond milk, whatever. Just make it a nice experience for yourself. And then day two, maybe try to push a little harder, you know, maybe decide I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk to get out in the fresh air for, for a little while to start my day. Um, the goal is not to make you want to put certain parts of your life on autopilot at, at a point. So you change one thing and you do it until you're no longer making a decision about it. It just is something that you do. 
And then you decide, okay, there's this other part of my life that I kind of want to readjust. So you pick another thing. You do it until it's no longer a choice. And then it's on autopilot. You no longer have to think about it. Until you have this collection of habits on a daily basis that helps support you to live in the way that you want to live. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people in, in my real life have kind of seen the changes that I've made or the physical changes that I've undergone. And they'll ask me how to get started. And I always just sort of refer to that idea of, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this like big sweeping lifestyle change. And in fact, that's the opposite of what I would tell anybody. You don't want to overhaul your life overnight because it's going to be very hard to stick to. That's a lot of brain power that's being devoted to a lot of different things. And um, you just want to get to a point where it just, all of these little things are just things that you do. It's no longer, will I, won't I, should I, shouldn't I? And um, something that I relate it to, um, like, for example, if you're really struggling with uh, having junk food in the house, for example, you know, a lot of us have been there. You can either make the decision at the grocery store one time to buy it or not buy it. Or if you do choose to buy it, you have to make that decision every time you walk into the kitchen, whether you're going to eat it or not eat it. And how many times do you walk into a kitchen in the course of your day? It's like, you know, you're constantly going to have to be making that decision. <laughs> when in reality, if you just do choice number one, it's one decision on one day, once a week, and you don't have to think about it anymore. And I feel like setting yourself up for success in that way has been, for, for me, that's been the, the biggest thing is I, I try to do all the hard work at the beginning so I have very little hard work to do at the end. So like my morning routine now, I'm never laying in bed thinking, should I go to the gym? Should I do this? It's just something that I do. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. That's so awesome to hear. Uh, and, and that's something that I struggle with a lot too is, you know, building that habit and building something that you can do every single day. So I'm sure that there are people out there in the exact same position. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Meg, for coming on the podcast um, and talking about all of these uh, these things that we've spoken about over the podcast because, uh, you know, that there are some really, really helpful um, bits of information in here for anyone. And if, if you know someone who is uh, currently in this situation, you know, maybe share this podcast with them because it's, it's all about um, – I, I really think that a friend's advice is much more powerful than any marketing or anything else that uh, would happen to to anyone, you know. And and so all 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 it may need is just someone someone to have a bit of a helping hand, you know. Um, and so I think that you have these these really really great approaches on being able to tackle big issues, um, and you know even just lifestyle change in general. I think this this podcast applies so much to that so i wanted to say thank you so much for for being on the podcast and taking the time out today um because you know it not only does it mean a lot to me but i'm sure it, it will positively change people's lives as well whoever listens to this so uh, yeah i just wanted to say thank you 
Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And like I said, the, the one thing that really got me started in this process was seeing people who looked like me being able to do the thing that I wanted to do. Um, I, I feel like we need that, that human example of, you know, people who look like us or people who have had experiences like us being able to do the very, very difficult thing that we're hoping to achieve and just seeing and really understanding that it is possible. Like you said, marketing and, and commercials and quick weight loss fixes and this belt and this tea, it, it's just, it's all nonsense. We need to see it. We need to see real people out there doing the things that we hope to accomplish to, to really feel like we're capable yeah. of them as well. So I just really, you know, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I really thank you for the experience and, and, you know, I'm, I'm telling people all the time, and this isn't just a line that I say, but if, if I can help change the trajectory of even one person's life out there, then everything that I've ever gone through, every struggle that I've ever had is a hundred percent worth it to me. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. That's so powerful. And speaking of which, where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you or if they uh, just need a little bit of help? Yeah, and I'm I'm totally open to that too. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, really, the only social media platform that I use is Instagram. Um, I'm my username is bacon and underscore Megs. Uh, that's what I was referring to before with the uh, kind of general dislike of bacon. Um, I just thought it was kind of a clever play on my name. Um, so, yeah, please don't hesitate to reach out. You know, if, if you need anything, just support, some cheering, whatever. Um, I I would be glad to be that person for absolutely anybody out there. That's there. That's so great. And, uh, you know, for everyone out there as well, thanks for listening to the show and um, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much again, Meg. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.